Have you noticed that when you're under stress, all sorts of aches and ailments seem to crop up? Stress is one of our weakest links. When we're under stress, for example, an old injury can suddenly flare up out of nowhere. And stress levels are at all-time highs for many people right now. Whether people are well-known national figures and leaders or ordinary persons on the local level, we all go through trials and tribulations which actually help to mold our character. When it comes to believers, so many of our trials, when we analyze them, are allowed by God to keep us humble, to make us more pliable and useful to Him, lest the deception of human pride overtakes us. We don't hear it preached very often that Paul, who was a spiritual giant, said the secret to his power was weakness. In fact, Paul spoke a paradox. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. This paradox may be a key for many of us in these days that are, humanly speaking, increasingly prophetically in time and stressful. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. It's great to be able to keep in touch in this digital world. And when you download our free Jerusalem Channel app to your mobile phone or tablet, you'll be the first to see all our new video teachings. You can also explore our bookshop and read the Bible. And you can help to support the channel through our donation page. So look for Jerusalem Channel in the Apple or Google Store and start to share in the good news of the gospel. Shalom, I'm Christine Dard. One of the characteristics of preachers, especially in the West, has been to style themselves as some sort of faith giants. Don't get me wrong, we all desperately need more faith, and Paul surely was a man of great faith. But humility is also paramount. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul wrote that for the sake of Messiah, he was content to accept weaknesses, insults, all sorts of hardships, persecutions, and calamities. His spiritual secret was a great motto, one we all need to adopt. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was no doubt thinking of the long list of sufferings that he fully cataloged here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he wrote that since many believers were boasting about their ministries, he defended his own ministry by saying that his exploits included working harder than anyone in the Lord's vineyard. He cataloged that he had been more often in prison than the so-called super apostles. He had been beaten more often and he had been in frequent danger of death. Death often, it says here. Five times he had received 39 lashes, according to the Jewish law. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and literally left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. Can you imagine that? And he spent a night and a day in the open sea. 
In Paul's frequent journeys, he'd been in danger from rivers and bandits. He was in peril from his own countrymen and from the Gentiles. He was in danger among false brethren. He had been in labor and toil and often gone without sleep, hungry and thirsty in cold and exposed to the elements. And as these trials weren't enough, he daily faced the pressure of his concern for all the fledgling churches. Paul wrote, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. Even in Damascus, as the city was secured so that Paul would be arrested for preaching the gospel, the once greatly revered rabbi was lowered over the city wall in a basket, making a shameful escape, so humiliating that he remembered the incident in his catalog of sufferings. Paul preached the great paradox that his greatest weaknesses resulted in the greatest strength, maximum performance sent to him from God. In other words, his weaknesses attracted the energy of God Almighty, even resurrection power. Therefore, Paul taught us, I'm content to bear my weaknesses cheerfully. Why? So that the power of God might rest upon me. This paradox, when I'm weak, I'm strong, became the genuine experience and testimony of the Apostle Paul, a man of God if ever there was a man of God. I wonder if I can become like that, having as my own motto in experience, or will I foolishly try to rely upon my own strength? We all need to be asking ourselves this question. I read a great illustration that in a certain county of England, Various stones were removed from the earth to make farming easier. But when the stones were removed, the land proved to be less productive. That really spoke to me because we would love to be rid of all of our weaknesses, things we think are great hindrances to our usefulness. We want to be super saints, but would we be able to bear quality fruit without these weaknesses, which Paul said, cause the resurrection power of Messiah to rest upon us and give God glory. It's really something to ponder. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we often think of his great faith, his visions, his dreams, the miracles that were wrought simply by applying handkerchiefs from his body to the sick. So we don't often associate weakness with the Apostle. But when we dig deeper, we'll discover that weakness was the secret to his success because it caused him to become absolutely God-centered and not self-centered. He had received so many revelations from God that he would have been prone to deception and lifted up in pride if God had not kept him humble through the various and many trials that he suffered. Paul said God had given him a thorn in the flesh what he called a messenger of Satan, who in some way handicapped Paul so that he couldn't be boastful. The commentaries say it wasn't an intellectual thorn because even Paul's worst detractors couldn't deny his mental superiority. And it wasn't a moral thorn. There was no doubt about his character in that regard. It was a physical or mental buffeting of some sort that kept Paul's pride in check. 
But the fact that God gave him supernatural power in spite of his weakness was a wonderful law of divine compensation. Being conscious of his own weakness led Paul to cast himself unreservedly upon the Lord for divine help. It also tended to make him a more compassionate individual. In his letters in the New Testament, we read of his great love and tenderness like a nursing mother that he had for the churches. From where did this kind of compassion and sympathy come? Well, it comes from being a broken vessel whom God can use. In spite of his constant spiritual warfare, Paul soldiered on, compelled by the love of God, forgetting his weakness. Sometimes we go through things and we wonder why we're so feeble. Why aren't we strong like somebody else we admire? We make the mistake of comparing ourselves to others, not knowing the secret sorrows that they are perhaps enduring. So let's not fall into the trap of envying other believers. Their roses may have painful thorns. Well, it's alarming to me that a lot of believers share their revelations from God the same day or the next day on the internet. But it took Paul 14 years to share his visit to heaven, yet he said it wasn't lawful to give the details. From the great apostle Paul, we learn that it's spiritually perilous for a believer to be exalted above measure. Paul learned that lesson and put it into practice because he was wise to know that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Exalting one's ministry will rob God of glory, and it's also a danger to the church of God. You see, had Paul been lifted up, he would have become the leader of a cult. Perhaps he would have been a rival rather than the servant of Messiah. But through the things he suffered, he refused to rob the Lord of the least particle of the Lord's glory. Now, for the sake of edification, let's study every word Paul spoke concerning his mysterious thorn in the flesh. First of all, because of having experienced what he called surpassingly great revelations, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Note to self, Paul said this messenger of Satan was given to him. It was a gift. Wow. Can our daily cross that we carry be embraced as a gift? But Paul came to the conclusion that his trial, although carried out by a messenger of Satan, had proceed as, as a gift from God. The thorn was prescribed by God for the apostles' benefit. Another note to self, Paul didn't fret. I noticed that he didn't blame God or become sullen or murmur against God, but instead he received God's greater supernatural strength to get the job done, and he reveled in it. Let's also consider the word thorn. I hesitate even to talk about this because it's such a controversy among preachers. For example, some commentators say Paul's thorn was blindness, but I don't buy that because he worked as a tent maker requiring sight. 
A thorn, though highly irritating, is something small, usually in our fingers or our feet, but it's usually not fatal. It's just highly annoying, but that is not very apparent to others. A thorn is also something rather commonplace, nothing to make a man remarkable. And Paul specified that it was a thorn in the flesh. But he didn't say what it was. And thank God he wasn't inspired to tell us. Our preachers could boast that they had the same thorn as the Apostle Paul because of the abundance of their revelations. And the commentary say that each expositor seems to have injected into the text their own particular thorn. Isn't that so like human nature? One commentary reminded us that the thorn was a messenger of Satan and not Satan himself, just one of Satan's errand boys. Too many preachers mistakenly boast that they've taken on Satan in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but to be buffeted by a mere lackey of hell, this was particularly humiliating and therefore it, it all the better served the purpose for which it was sent. To keep Paul, this Hebrew of Hebrews, on track, this messenger of Satan became, as it were, in the wisdom of God, the commentaries tell us, a guardian angel. And it drove him to his knees. We certainly don't like tribulation, but we need to be driven to our knees from time to time. I know of a great leader right now who's going through great trials, all designed to drive him to his knees. And so that he will acknowledge that he can do nothing without the help of the Lord. So Paul wrote that he earnestly besought the Lord, not in any half-hearted way, but he said earnestly and perseveringly, for he besought the Lord not once, not twice, but three times trying to get relief until at last he received the Lord's final answer. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. God always answers, but sometimes it is his golden answer to deny our request because his power in our weakness is greater than giving us an easy answer. God's grace not only enabled Paul to bear the thorn, but to receive a greater measure of the power of God. And for this reason, Paul was always kept humble and grateful. And what about us? We have to learn to obtain self-knowledge of our weaknesses and humble ourselves under the hand of God so that he may exalt us in due time. God allows us to be assailed by all sorts of temptations and messengers from Satan that we should not trust in ourselves, but trust in him who even raises the dead. If we fall into some transgression or sickness, it's imperative that we quickly turn to the Lord, repent, and acknowledge our weakness, for by ourselves we can do no good thing. That's what Jesus taught us. Now this whole paradox of when I'm weak, I'm strong, is also discussed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Although Paul was once a big shot and a persecutor of the church, a real somebody, an Israelite, a Benjaminite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he learned that the human vessels whom God calls and uses are not many wise, according to human standards. 
And not many are considered powerful or influential. And not many hail from high and noble birth. But Paul wrote here, God has chosen for his purpose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has selected for his purpose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, revealing their frailty. God has selected for his purpose. God has chosen the insignificant, the base things of the world and the things that are despised and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, so that he may reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one will be able to boast in the presence of God. Paul was so molded into a man of God that he learned to despise spiritual boasting. This revelation about God's paradoxical choices teaches us that man chooses the ones who would be most helpful to him. But God chooses those who need the help of God. We select people whom we think are the best qualified for the job. God frequently selects those who will most need his help. And furthermore, we tend to select those whom we deem are the most deserving. But God selects those who are least deserving so that his choice may be more clearly seen to be an act of grace to his glory and not mere merit. The bottom line is you can be the weakest link and God may choose you to demonstrate his power. Isn't that wonderful? The truth stated in our text for today goes contrary to the world and to Hollywood. God chooses the weak and despised people of the world to shame those who think they're somebody. The Lord cares deeply about the poor and the marginalized. He cares for rejects and the outcasts. In fact, God has a special regard for the weak and the oppressed. Throughout the Bible, we often notice that God deliberately chose men and women who were not considered to be the greatest specimens of human beings. Even Samson, although he had a magnificent, strong body, he had a weakness when it came to women. Now, I must make a point of clarification so there'll be no misunderstanding. Having discussed Paul's thorn, he clearly said it was a messenger of Satan, not a specific sickness. The Bible doesn't even describe sickness as a beatitude. The Bible doesn't describe illness as a blessing. Neither is sickness described in the Bible as some sort of proof of God's love designed to be born with patience. It is true that oftentimes the Lord told his disciples that we would have tribulation in this world and sufferings in this world. But when Jesus addressed sickness, it was always something negative and demonic that he was willing to relieve or to deliver a person from. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told us that each and every disciple would have to bear a cross, but he never described our cross as a specific sickness. He bore our sicknesses on the cross as part of the atonement. The Word of God says, by his stripes we were healed. In fact, Jesus' modus operandi was always to heal sickness, and he's the same today as in the days of the Bible. Thank God he has not changed, and he will be forever the same. Hebrews 13.8 declares, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. 
everywhere Jesus healed the sick. Sin in the soul and sickness in the body both bear witness to the power of Satan. And the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. By the accounts given here in the Gospels, we see that it was more difficult for the Jews at that time to believe in the forgiveness of their sins than to believe in divine healing. And today, it's just the opposite. We've had forgiveness of sins preached over and over, and that's good, but we also need to hear the preaching of the healing of sickness and disease as well. In the Lord's actions, in His teachings, in the ongoing work of the apostles, forgiveness and healing were always linked together. And let's not dismiss that fact. The Bible does not authorize us, either by words of the Lord or the apostles, to believe that the gifts of healing were granted only to the early church. On the contrary, the promises which Jesus made to the apostles when he gave them instructions concerning their mission, the Great Commission, shortly before his ascension to heaven, appear to be applicable to all times. For sure, Paul placed the gift of healing amongst the operations of the Holy Spirit. And James, in his epistle in the New Testament, gave a precise command on healing without any time restrictions. Remember that healing is a part of a life of faith. Now, speaking of the power of God overcoming weakness, here's something else I've been musing upon this week. How will we strengthen our weak links? We're all unique, so our weakest link is different in each of us. Your weakest link can be back pain, migraines, obesity. Have you noticed that when you're under stress, you tend to have recurrent problems in the same area? That's our weakest link. When we're under stress, an old injury can suddenly flare up. And stress levels are at all-time highs for many people right now. So how can we heal, strengthen, and support our weakest link? The Lord is committed to helping us regain our health to restore function. It's amazing how our body can heal naturally, even when everything else has failed. I'm preaching to myself first before I preached to anybody else. So I'm asking the Lord to give us some pointers to help to strengthen our body's weakest links. I think, first of all, he would say to us, are we going to be controlled by negative thoughts and actions, or will we, by faith, take control of our health by learning to make some healthy changes and proclaiming this Word of God? I'm back on my exercise regime again, and I'm always amazed when I stop, and then how much better I feel when I start exercising again. Giving our body what it needs is vitally important, and our body does have the ability to heal itself, but nowadays it needs added help from supplements because, let's face it, we live in a very toxic world. We can influence our health by what we do, what we think, what we speak, what we take in, eat, and drink. It all adds up. Most of our health is determined by the sum of the choices we make. And when presented with a choice, God help us to discipline ourselves to choose the better choice, even the best choice. For example, should I have water, tea, or soda? Water may be the best choice, but tea would be better than a sugary soda. Over time, making consistently better choices will lead us in the right direction. 
Well, if you feel weak and infirm today, and we all have days like that when we know that we're not on top of our game, we go through struggles in this life. But the good news is that God's heart is for those who are weak and dependent upon him. He's for those who say, God, you've got to make a way of escape for me. Jesus knows our infirmities. When he came into this universe, he came as a helpless baby, dependent upon the milk of human kindness of a good mother for his very survival. He humbled himself and suffered the worst death possible on a cross so that in him we have a Savior who understands our sufferings and infirmities. Sometimes we're deceived into thinking that we're invincible or strong. And so it's necessary for us to remember that God chose us when we were weak and not very strong. Of necessity, he allows us to go through seasons where we experience all over again our weaknesses. And we have to learn afresh to depend upon him and his strength. The Apostle Paul set the best example by simply saying, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Oh, how we must depend on the Lord and say humbly through Messiah, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And to thank God that his grace will always be sufficient and his power will be made perfect when we are the weakest and most helpless and when we call upon him for his grace. So today, let's choose to have faith. Choose a meaningful life. Most of all, without apology, I must say that if you've never invited the Lord into your heart, ask the Savior to come into your heart right now and strengthen you and give you peace and security. I urge you to do this while there's yet time. We're only promised today, not tomorrow. And let us seek to be healed by the Lord that his name may be truly glorified in our lives. It's so tragic how little the power of his name is recognized. Yet, in the book of Acts here, the Apostle Peter testified before the Sanhedrin concerning the miraculous healing of a paralyzed man at the gate temple. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man stands here before you whole. And then Peter added, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Thus, Peter declared that the name of Jesus both saves and heals. You know, I think it would be a good idea to make a full confession of our weaknesses to the Lord without any cover-up. Let's tell him, Lord, so often I don't do what I know I should do, and I mourn over my sinful weaknesses. Lord, help me. Grant your power in my weakness so that I may be strong. I do declare that through Messiah who strengthens me, I can do all things. Amen. Well, there's so much I want to share with you, so please visit our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. Our show's title, Exploits, is based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong and will accomplish exploits meaning we'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. And remember, we're strongest when we painfully admit that we are weak and have to put all of our trust in the Lord. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, and you can always download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets to enjoy our free video library on the go.
Today I want to leave you with an exhortation from Psalm 37.1. Do not fret. Fret not thyself, it says, because of the evildoers, neither be thou envious because of the workers of iniquity. Fretting is akin to friction and wearing down tactics that lead to sickness. Instead, let's learn to trust, trust, trust the Lord. Let's believe, 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 and pray, 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 and rest in the Lord, knowing that when I'm weak, He is strong. Amen. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha, even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord be with you all. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom.